Bibles in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, and I hope that you at home, you have your Bibles open in 2 Samuel as well. Don't be a spectator. Be a participator. All right, that's what we should do. Be a participator, not a spectator. It's easy to be a spectator when we are home. I'm not picking on you at home today. I'm just reminding you. All right? So, 2 Samuel. We'll continue our journey through the book of 2 Samuel. And today we're going to touch on a little topic. It's called reconciliation. And there's a big word... Uh, but we're going to see here in this passage, that's pretty much what the passage is about, uh, reconciliation. Let's, let's look there and um, let's see, uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. I'm sorry, I said Second Samuel, chapter 14, verse 1. We read a couple of verses here and we get to our, our lesson tonight. And it says, Now Joab, the son of Zuar, uh, perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, uh, feign uh, uh, thyself to be a mourner and put, uh, and put on now mourning apparel and anoint now thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead. And come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Help us, Lord. Uh, help me, Lord, to give justice to this message, Lord. And as I teach, teach me much, teach my heart as well, Lord, in this uh, very important topic, Lord. I just pray, Father, uh, Lord, be with each person here tonight, those who are online as well. And, Lord, give us something we can take home, we can grow, we can be better Christians. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So... We're looking about the word reconciliation, which is a big word. Uh, so imagine two friends who have a fight or an argument. Imagine, just imagine with me, two friends, you just had a fight and then an, an argument. The good relationship they once enjoyed is strained to the point of breaking. Uh, that can happen. So, you know, uh, I think a friend is always a friend, a friend's going to agree and disagree. Uh, but they always have a way to reconcile with each other, and uh, I, I, this is me. I, I think uh, I think that uh, we, if we think we have a friend and we have an argument, and the friendship just breaks to the point of no return, I wonder if it was really a friendship there at all, uh, because I think friends understand each other, and even though there's disagreements, uh, because everybody disagrees at one time or another, right? We all disagree one time or another. Sometimes, you know. One side is more hard-headed than the other, <laughs> and you know, so those things. But anyway, um, but I, I think, but but let's put it this way: that it is a, an argument or a fight. I don't like the word fight. I like a disagreement. I would say, because when I mention fight, it seems to me, mean, in my mind, is like fight. Like you know, you put the fists up and they're gonna go to a boxing match, and that's not what I'm trying to say here. So, so a good. The, <laughs> The good, uh, the good relationship that they want to enjoy, once enjoy, is strained to the point of breaking. They cease speaking to each other. Communication is them to almost awkward. The friend gradually becomes a stranger, and such estrangement can only be reversed by reconciliation. Uh, but 
reconciliation can only be made, can only be possible if both are in the same agreement. You get that? Uh, if there's no agreement between two, then it could be just lip talking. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, that's fine. All right, okay, it's fine. And the garages are there in the heart. And it's really never reconciliation. So the word reconciliation, it goes deeper than just words. You follow that? So you, you guys, you guys are, we all, all, all the people here, you know, grown-ups, we understand what that means. The word reconciliation goes more than just words. Exactly. <laughs> so to be reconciled is to be, is to be restored to friendship or harmony. I mean... We have to, it comes from deep from within. So when old friends resolve the difference and restore the relationship, reconciliation can be possible. Now, can reconciliation be possible? Yes. It's got to be both sides. So uh, look what it says in Second Corinthians. Actually, go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 18 and verse 19. God is something for us tonight here in this passage. And we go back. Keep your finger in our text because we're going to go back there. Look what it says in verse 18. And all things are of God who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And had given, and had given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling to the world, I'm sorry, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses on them, he had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So the Bible says that Christ reconciled us to God. You follow that? Right here in these verses, many other verses, Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Colossians 1, uh, 1 20, 21. So the fact that we need, we need reconciliation means that our relationship with God was broken. All right? So since God is holy, we are the ones to blame. Our sins alienate us from Him. So Romans 5, 10 says that we were enemies of God. Here's one thing. You go out there and you try to tell somebody that they are, they are at war against God and the enemies of God. They're going to call you crazy. They're going to say, you're out of your mind. But that's absolutely biblical truth. Is that we are, those who are unsaved, are the enemies of God. They are at war against God. It's like, that's, a, that's what the Bible teaches. So they have to make peace with God or reconciliation with God. Because they are warring God. It's not... I had one time a preacher, that's a, a young man comes up, and the preacher said to the young man, so uh, I forgot the name of the young man, he mentioned, no, young man said, you want to make peace with God? Oh, that's a biblical term, he was coming for salvation, he, and he said to the young man, you want to make peace with God? And look at the answer, yes. Even the young man realized he was at war with God. Even though he not, didn't understand anything about scripture. But anyway, so, so, um, our reconciliation to God, I'm sorry, I go back a little bit here. Uh, Romans 5.10 says that we are we're enemies of God. But when Christ died on the cross, he satisfied God's judgment and made it possible for God's enemies, who? Us, to find peace with him or in him. So our reconciliation to God, that involves the exercise of his grace and the forgiveness of our sin. So when we ask, when we come to Jesus and ask him, for his forgiveness, 
we are any, you know, we, we confess our sin, our wrongdoings, and we ask Him to be our Lord and Savior. What are we doing? We're making peace with God. We reconcile our differences with God. You follow that? That's what we're doing. So, so Robert, we had a disagreement yesterday. Me and Robert, we had a disagreement yesterday. It was a little rough. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it was a little rough. So the next day, you know, I go to Robert and I want to I want to make peace with him. I want to reconcile with him. So I go there, Robert. I was a little rough on you yesterday. And Robert goes, I think I was a little rough too. You see, two hearts are admitting they're wrong. And it's no like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, two. And that's where we reckon. Listen. We're us with God, we need reconciliation with Him. He forgives, we confess. When it's two sinners, we confess to each other. Because neither one of us is God. You follow that? Because when we, you know, we sinners, <laughs> we always say something, you know, we offend the other side and the other side offends us. So we need to forgive one another, what the Bible says. Forgive one another. So, so Christian reconciliation, reconciliation is a glorious truth. We were God's enemies, but now we are His friends. We were in a state of condemnation because of our sin, but we are now forgiven. We, are at, we were at war with God, but now we have the peace that transcends all understanding. Philippians 4, 7. Now, what this got to do, what this got to do our text, with our text tonight? Well, it got to do with everything. Look at this. Relationship between David, the king, and Absalom, the son, uh, it was not the best. Absalom killed his half-brother, Amnon, because of he, he raped his sister, Tamar. And as a result, Absalom runs away to Egypt and lives, lives the, time, uh, uh, the, the time of about two years there. Now keep in mind that, that it, both Absalom, Absalom and Tamar and Amnon are all siblings and children of David. One can only imagine the disruption that's going on in that family. We have a brother that rapes his sister. And we have the other brother that is at, at rage because the father is not doing anything. Well, according to the law, David, as the king, is supposed to do something. David didn't do anything because it's in a family. Probably that's what he thought. But he didn't know what he was putting in the heart of the other child, which is Absalom. To the point that he was holding hate and grudge and to a point he was planning, premeditating things until he got his brother killed. So, he runs to Egypt. That was the last, last week. He runs to Egypt. Now, he's been there for about two years or so, some around that time. And now, reconciliation needs to be made between father and son. So that's what we're looking at tonight in this passage. So let's look at this from several points. Number one, the root of the problem. The root of the problem. Where's the root of the problem? Every problem always have a root where it started. You got that? Listen, every problem has a root place. It started somewhere. It might spread along the way, but it has a root somewhere. You know, there's no trees without roots. <laughs> You got that? There's no plants without roots. There's no problems without roots. It came from somewhere. So now, even though David was a man after God's own heart, a man that loved the Lord, 
a man who wrote many psalms, David had his family, had a, I'm sorry, had his faults as well. Don't you ever think that because a guy, a person, a woman, a man, or whoever that person is, may be so spiritual that that person will never fall. That person never sent for nature, so did David. And David, made, we look at this, made some serious mistakes. I don't think, to be honest with you, looking at that, I don't think he treated the situation between Tamar and his son right. I understand that their son even lied to his father to get what he wanted, but after the fact, he didn't do nothing about it. Probably saying, oh, well, time would heal everything and we will forget about it. You know what? Somebody didn't forget about it was Absalom. He never forgot about it. So, I think this is a new outline. David's family problems begin with David. That's the root problem. It began with him. David was not satisfied just with one wife, for he had many. The multiplication of wives created a lot of uh, friction and comp competition there. His failure to, to properly nurture uh, and disciple his sons led to further breakdown where in the family. So when David fell with Bathsheba, he set in motion a chain of events that had grievous impact on his family. You know, I put it like this. Be careful about your sin and how you sin because we think sometimes it's my prerogative. I do what I want to do. And it's not anybody's problem. That's my problem. A lot of times when we sin or some types of sin, we drag a slew of people with us. And we think, look, it's not their problem. No, but they, 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 they got dragged with it because of that. David is here at that problem. He did that with Bathsheba. Guess what happened? His whole family got dragged into it. And we're going to continue to see as we march through 2 Samuel anyway. So this chapter deals with the separation and estrangement between David and Absalom, his son. There is a personal implication here between father and son, as well as kingdom implications. It is a story of reconciliation, and reconciliation, but not of, of a heartfelt reconciliation pretty much in the heart of Absalom. Even if David won reconciliation, Absalom won a reconciliation. Listen, neither one tried to reconcile here. We have to have a mediator to go grab the guy out of Egypt here. We're going to look into that. So you see, folks, reconciliation is a big word. Reconciliation goes deeper than what we, we, we think sometimes. To reconcile is to make peace with another person. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, like I said in the beginning, you reconcile yourself with God or you made peace with God. So is it possible for people to make reconciliation with words only, but not with hearts, with their hearts? That's a surface reconciliation. Because reconciliation is more than lip talking. It has to come from your heart. So you're sorry and not mean it. You say, oh, you say I'm sorry so many times. Yeah. Oh, I mean that is right. It's got to come from a heart. Right. Otherwise, it's just lip talking. There are far too many people who have done that, especially when it's going to benefit them. Absalom was living in exile in Egypt, and in order for him to return home, he needed to make reconciliation with his king or with his father. The question is, did Absalom make genuine reconciliation with his father? We're going to look at that in a few minutes. Actually, Absalom never, listen to this, expressed 
repentance or remorse for taking the life of his brother. All right? He never did. And in the ensuing rebellion of Absalom will cause David and the kingdom of God much hardship. In the following chapters, we're going to see that this reconciliation that Absalom did with his father were just lip-talking because as we moved in the chapters, we're going to see, actually I was working on yesterday, on which Absalom tried to dethrone his father, literally have him killed to take possession of the throne of Israel. What kind of reconciliation was that? Obviously it was none. You see, this passage helps us appreciate the fullness of God's grace and the forgiveness and rec reconciliation which we have receiving Jesus Christ. So, we have truly been restored to a position of favorite status as sons of God, where God favor, uh, favor uh, uh, us, uh, rest upon us, uh, sorry, God's favor rests upon us. So the death of, of Christ as a, as a propitiation for us all truly satisfy God's wrath and meet the demand of God's justice. So a factor totally missing in this episode of, of co conflicting principles and priorities here is one thing. Did Absalom really, really ask uh, um, uh, forgiveness to his father about what he did and to try to make reconciliation? Obviously not. But what is the root problem right here in this first point? David is the root problem. David, it started with David. The whole thing started with him. Because how Absalom came to be where he was? Because something happened in the past. So number two, we see the initiator of reconciliation. The initiator of reconciliation. Somebody got to initiate the thing. Okay? Robert, here we go back again, me and you. We got the disagreement. So, if, if, we, if we have a disagreement, somebody got to initiate the thing. Well, in this case, let's say I called you in the morning. I initiate. And you say, yeah, let's do it. In this case right here that we're seeing, neither one wanted reconciliation. Somebody has to come between them. Or maybe they wanted, but not, no one ever initiated. Maybe the best way to put it. So, so uh, in many cases, uh, let me put guys a little bit here. Sometimes it's unfortunate that people will never make is the effort to reconcile with other people who they have hurt or have hurt them. Listen, when there's a disagreement, it's always hurt both ways. You agree with me? It's always hurt both ways. Yes. You know, you say something, you say something, you say something. You know, it, it, you know, we, you know what we need to do as children of God is be willing to say, hey, I've done wrong, please forgive me. You don't want, I don't want. So when we go there, I don't wrong, please forgive me. I don't wrong, please forgive me. We are reconciling because we go from deep of our hearts, we admit we are done wrong. But right here in this case, that's not what happens. So in many cases they feel that, they feel bad uh, that situation doesn't get any better, but neither one makes any effort to make Make things better. So sometime, uh, sometime passes by the situation that we're talking about here, and nothing changes. So folks, we see the same problem is here between David and Absalom. Both want reconciliation, but neither one of them is willing to do it or to start. Letter A, Joab the initiator. There's the man that you want to know. Joab the initiator. We see this in verse 1 and verse 2. We read these verses and we see he's the one. You go and get a woman and he tells the woman what she's going to say. See, Joab is not the one going in there because, you know, he's going to be recognized. So he sends somebody that David doesn't know who it is. And like Nathan the prophet, you remember Nathan the prophet when, when told David, you are the man? 
This woman has the same mission. This woman is going in and tell the story about Absalom and David any other way. She's very well trained. And David, after a long time, he really hits him. She's talking about me. But it doesn't hit him right away. But we're going to look into that. So Joab, a general of David's military and a member of, of the family, knew David very well. He knew the heart of David, and he knew that David was yearning for his son Absalom to come home. He saw that David's heart was hurting, but neither David or Absalom were making any effort for reconciliation. So somebody had to do something, and Joab took on himself to help the family. See, listen, you don't do anything about it. You don't do anything about it. I got this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's pretty much what, what he comes down to what he says. So... <laughs> Somebody do something. So reconciliation can be hard at times. Reconciliation can be painful, especially when some people don't like to admit they're wrong. I am telling you. When some people don't like to say, oh, well, it is me, oh, Lord. It is me. I've done it. Lord, forgive me. And they're not willing to do. When they're not willing to do, it becomes hard. For reconciliation. So, so, it is wonderful that God puts people in our lives who are willing to help us reconcile with others. Do you remember the person that led you to the Lord Jesus? Do you remember that person? What does that person did? That person went there with you, show you from God's word how you could make reconciliation with God. Because you were not willing to do it on your own. You didn't know how. So he said, get over here. Get on your knees. Let's open the Bible. Let me show you how you make reconciliation with God. Oh, I'm thankful for that person that led me to the Lord. So, so Joab, <laughs> so God, that, that person has to, uh, was the help that you needed for you to make reconciliation with God. So Joab knew his king very well and recognized the signs of David yearning for his son, of course, as, and as head of the army, Joab was concerned that Israel have a, a crown prince ready to reign just in case something happened to David who was not close to, uh, uh, to 60. Not, he was close to six years old at this time. But Absalom couldn't, couldn't come home unless David gave permission because he was the king. Let it be. Joab the planner. Look at verse 3. And they, and they come and, they, and come to the king and speak on this man unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. So Joab got this woman. A uh, good actress right there. She knows how to act. She did her act very well. And she, I mean, he put the words in her mouth. So this is what you're going to say to the king. He trained her very well. So King David wouldn't give permission for, for his son Absalom to come home until he was convinced it was the right thing to do. It was the king's duty to uphold the law, of course, and Absalom was guilty of plowing the murder of his half-brother, Ammon. But an interesting thing about David here, which, which he lacks here, you could see where the root started. All right, so Ammon raped his sister. David do nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. Where's the law? Did the king uphold the law? No. She was disgraced. She went and lived in the same house as Absalom. 
Absalom saw the, the pain in that young woman's heart. He saw it for two years. He saw it until he plowed. You see, that is maybe waiting on his father to do something he never did. But with Absalom, he wants to do something. So the guy, the young man, runs to um, Egypt. So, so Joab coached this woman and prepared her, prepared her so that she could tell a convincing story, interesting that such a woman could gain hearing with the king, similar to the Supreme Court ruling here. But I don't know how she got there, but she did. So there are several factors that made this woman appear successful here. She was a widow, which could invite sympathy. She lived at some distance from Jerusalem, which made it difficult or easily, uh, or, or easily known of, or, or inquired the fact of who she was. She, uh, she was old, which gave more dignity to her story. She wore the cloths of a, uh, of a mourning person, somebody that was crying in, 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 in for something that happened to her. She brought a case of a, of a family estranged to David. She brought a case that was not too similar, least it, it aroused David's suspicions. In the, uh, so David was not suspicious about it. So her two sons had an, had an argument in the field. That's her story. And one killed the other. This sounds like Cain and Abel, right? Well, what happened? Ammon and Absalom here. So the other relatives wanted to slay the guilty one and avenge his blood. Uh, his blood. But you see this in Numbers chapter uh, 35, 6, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1 to 4. But she opposed them. So killing her own, uh, only son, her only son would put, put an end to her family. So according to the law, the surviving son was guilty that should be slain. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12, Leviticus 24, 17. But she wanted to be... Uh, to be uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but she wanted the king to pardon the surviving son. So Nathan's story about the little lamb touched David's heart. To the uh, in uh, and this and this story should uh, uh, about the, this woman's family move the heart of David as well. So David's first response was to ensure this woman that he would take care of this case. But that wasn't good enough for her. She was well coached by Joab. She insisted that sometimes the wheels of government would turn slowly, and her case was a matter of life and death. In other words, she wanted the actions to be done right and then. She didn't want it to be to the, uh, to, to the, the government thing to take over. That is so common in our government. You know, things move very slow in our government. Slowly, you want something, and two years later, you still do one something, and never, never gets done. She said, I want it done here and now. So when she said she would assume the guilty or whatever decision he made, David promised to protect her if anybody approached her about the matter. Actually, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whosoever set, uh, set uh, aught on thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. As a promise of David right here. So now you would think that this woman would be satisfied with David's decision. But the woman wasn't satisfied. So she asked the king to take an oath to assure her that her son would not be slain. And David agrees in verse 11. So taking an oath in the Lord's name was, uh, was a binding and that cannot be ignored. So she was making David make an oath right here. So the plan at work and this woman now have David against the wall. 
if he had agreed to, to protect a guilty son who, who he did not know, how much more was he obligated to protect his own son whom he loved? So he had to come to him with a matter involving the future of one small family, but the matter concerning Absalom, concerning the future of the entire nation. So the king didn't want to see his only son and, and heir destroyed. So, but he was willing, to, uh, willing for the crown prince to be left in exile. So he forgave the murder of his son Ammon. So why he would not forgive the man planned the murder? You follow that? How much longer will the king wait before he sends for a son? How much longer will he, will he send for a son to come back home? After all, life is brief, and when life ends, it is like water spilled in the dirt, and it can't be recovered. Slain, the murder can bring back the victim, so why not give him another chance? You see, God is not respect of person, and His law is true. But even God devises a ways to show mercy and forgive offenders. So He punishes sin, but be sure. He, but He also seeks a way to reconcile sinners with Himself. The, folks, I put it like this: How many times do we fail the Lord? Many times, probably daily, right? Looking at one here, Lord, every day. You know, I have to ask forgiveness four, five, six, seven times a day, Lord. You know, it, it, but see, the Lord is always there willing to forgive, to make reconciliation with us. Always there willing. And if we ask forgiveness with a genuine, humble heart, He forgives. So first of all, we see the root of the problem, David. We see the initiator of the reconciliation, Joab. And number three, the king's discovery. The king, look at verse 18. Then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing which that I shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my lord the king now speak. And the king said, Is not the hand of Joab with thee in all this? <laughs> you finally got it. You see that? And, and the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from all that my lord the king had spoken for thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in my mouth of the, of the, of the mouth of thy handmaid, to fetch about us this form of speech. Had thy servant Joab done this, and my lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know things that are in the earth. So let me tell you that this woman was a good actress, for this woman was well versed. When he spoke to the king, she, she did it so well that she convinced the king to make an oath before her. And in those days, an oath could not be reversed. So this woman was well-versed, and this woman followed true. And finally, David got us. I heard a story similar to this before. It wasn't this Joab that told you that. Obviously, you knew Joab well. So unfortunately today, there are many people who make an oath with God, but don't follow through. Lord, they come to the altar. Lord, from now on, I'm going to be in church every time the doors are open. The following Sunday, they're not there. They are, you know, Lord, from now on, I'm going to serve you with every ounce of energy I got. Where are they? 
Be careful what you promise the Lord, what, what you, what you, with the oaths that you make to God. I, sometimes it's better for us to stay quiet. Because sometimes at the spare moment, we say things we don't mean. So some, uh, 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 I'm sorry, some, uh, uh, some do it out, uh, out of conviction, but, but as soon as the, the conviction leaves, they forget, forget about it. Some do it because of, of the moment in which they were caught in. Emotionally, they were caught in and make, and make an oath before the Lord, and they, that when, they were never intent keeping. We, say, we, we, can, we, we pretty much we can come to the altar and say, Lord, I want to serve you. Give me the heart to do it. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to serve you from now on. Every time the door's open, I'll be here. Yeah. And we fail miserably. You know what you need to do? Lord, give me the strength. Day by day to serve you more and more. Lord, I know I'm frail. I know I'm weak. I know sometimes I don't want to do it. Sometimes I don't feel like doing it. But Lord, give me the strength. And in season, out of season, we keep going. You know why? Because the Lord is the one who gives us the strength. So now the plan was that for David the king to make an oath. And she got from David where she went. Therefore, the plan was for Absalom to be able to return back home. So as the woman spoke, David was thinking somehow in the back of his mind, I heard the story before. And he was right. And she confessed it. So again, this woman had a sobering speech. I think this is in your outline. Sobering speech. And David took this speech to the heart. But being a wise man, he realized that this, woman play, uh, this woman's playing went, uh, went far beyond boundaries of her family and property. David was smart enough to know that she was speaking about him and the king, I mean, him, the king and Absalom, and the future of the nation of Israel, God's inheritance. So at this point, he also understood that the entire story, that that woman was, was pure fiction, and that, and that somehow as, uh, and someone else was behind all this. Of course, it was Joab. Joab wanted to say, David, all right, you want reconciliation, but you're not willing. Absalom, you want reconciliation, but you're not willing. I'll get into this. Look what I'm doing. Anyone got the, the, the actor to, to, to perform the act? And she did a great job at it. So number four, we see the steps of reconciliation. Look at verse 21. And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. Wow, he changes right here. Now he tells Joab to go to Egypt and get the kid back. So it is a step of reconciliation here. So how we do, what is the steps of a reconciliation? Number one, a caring heart. If we don't have a caring heart for the other person, we won't make reconciliation. We see this in verse 22. It is great when there is someone that cares enough about us, who is willing to work in our behalf in order for us to make reconciliation possible between us and somebody else. Those type of people have the ability to do the dirty work, so to speak. Those type of people have the tendency to, of creating a, an atmosphere of peace on both parties involved and want on, from both parties to make reconciliation. I follow this way. It is a wonderful object lesson. A person come, once comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. There is somebody there that introduces that person to Christ. 
That person, it is the one that say, I'm going to do it so you can have reconciliation with God. But it got to be a caring heart. No doubt it was Joab that brought the woman to have this audience with David, the king of Israel. And it was probably a reminder in, in the room uh, and, and, and all the people heard in there that this woman did a great job to get David to come out, to, uh, out of his shell there. So David has sworn to protect the woman and her son so the king cannot do anything but allow Absalom to come back home. But I tell you this, without a caring heart, there is no reconciliation. Without a caring heart, how can you have reconciliation? You have to care about the next person. Right, Robert? Amen. You know, if I don't care about Robert, I'd say, I said what I said, and i see you later. But if I want reconciliation, I have to care enough about him to go to him and say, Brother, I'm sorry, I offended you. You see where I'm going? I'm searching my deep of my heart and say, Brother, I offended you. I said this and this and that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Here's what people say. Oh, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That is deep words. A lot of people cannot say it. I'm sorry. I've done wrong. Forgive me. What? I, will you forgive me? If the person say, I don't forgive you, you know what? You already did your part. But it's got to be from a caring heart. Number two, a willing heart. Not only a caring heart, but a willing heart. You see, what we see right here, we see a man that puts himself in the middle to get father and son together. But let me tell you, this is the most awkward rec reconciliation you see in the Bible right here. Because it was just lip kisses, hugs, and that was the end of the story. But we're going to see this. A willing heart. After the words of the king, Joab goes to Geshar to bring home the exile son back to Jerusalem. Joab's words in verse 22 suggest strongly that he had discussed the subject with David on more than one occasion. And he, had was, he was overjoyed that the matter was now to be settled. Look at verse 22. And Joab fell to the ground, uh, uh, fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So obviously you can see from this verse that this conversation about reconciliation is banned in the lips of, of Joab many times with, with um, uh, David. So we see uh, uh, where uh, 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 Absalom in Egypt is about 80 miles away from Jerusalem, and Joab wouldn't waste no time making that journey. So Absalom could have been uh, back home in, in about 10 days, so to speak, in those days. So a willing heart. How we do reconciliation. First, you have to have a caring heart. And secondly, a willing heart. You have to be willing to reconcile. Otherwise, how are you going to reconcile? You have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to do this, but not only with my lips, but out of my heart. Like That's what I said, a willing heart. Follow that? A willing, a caring heart, but also a willing heart. Now, I didn't say a willing lips and a caring lips because it's just words. It has to come from here and express here. So is somebody to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong for what I said, whatever situation. That's, we want to see from David and the son here. You know, Father, I'm sorry, I did wrong. Will you forgive me? 
The son will go, son, I'm sorry. I did wrong. I should go after Amnon after he, did, he treated your sister that way. I didn't do I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We didn't hear that in here. So I have to come from a willing heart. It's also a caring heart. Let us see. You have to come also from a patient heart. Whatever there was restriction placed on the crown prince, look at verse 24. And the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. Well, that is sad. All right, so Joab goes to Egypt to get Absalom home. When Absalom comes home, look at the words of David. And the king said, let him, him who? Absalom, turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So, he just comes home, but I don't want to see him. Brother Tom, is that reconciliation? Absolutely not. I don't think anybody would agree with that here. It's not reconciliation at all. Is that you at home? Is that reconciliation? No, it's not reconciliation. He had to remain in his own land, which almost amounted to, to house arrest. He was, a, he was not allowed to go to the palace and see his father. Perhaps David was testing his son to see if he could be trusted, or David, uh, uh, or David may, uh, uh, may have thought uh, uh, that these re uh, restrictions will, will assure the people that the king was in, uh, and, and his son was in some type of difficulty. But I tell you what, that's no reconciliation at all. Oh, he comes home, but I don't want to see him. Okay. So, Robert, we have our problem. And uh, I want to see you the next day because I want to make peace with you. And you go, I text you, Robert, I want to make peace with you. Can we get together? And you text me back, I don't want to see you. <laughs> Is that reconciliation? Mm -hmm. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not reconciliation at all. So uh, it is also a patient heart. And David doesn't show any patience here. Whatever these limitations didn't hinder the expansion of Absalom popularity, for the people loved him and praised him for in later days. The fact is that he planned to murder his own half-brother and give proof his guilt by running away. The people who were known for their love for idols be, uh, began to idolize this young man or this young handsome prince. So the lack of character was not important to the people of Israel at this time. What really mattered was statues, wealth, and good looks. And this young man had all that in him. So in contemporary language today, Absalom was an E-man, someone with, uh, let's say, like, like physique and good-looking, and people admire him. So folks, times have not changed, did they? That's the way many people think and see others. To them, it's all about money, prestige, name, fame, and looks. When they see people like that, they just can't help themselves. Right? Remember when I went around my job and asked people if they wanted my autograph? Remember I shared that with you? I had to do that. I went around and I went around Say, I'm giving free autographs today. Anybody wants my autograph? Only had one person. It was my brother in Christ. Because he knew that I was doing something. He said, he said, I don't know what you're doing, Pastor, but I'm going to sign just because you're up to something. 
<laughs> and he signed his autograph. He signed, you know, I signed my autograph on his little piece of paper that he had there. And he said, thank you. <laughs> but all the other ones, no one won my autograph. No, imagine. Imagine if somebody rich, full of money, popular, when naming all the, and then he walks in, and everybody goes, oh, that's so-and-so. And you know what people do? They don't run away from them or go, oh, whatever. They run to them and, well, autograph, sign in here, sign in here. I remember uh, Big Poppy. You know, everyone knows Big Poppy, right? I, went, I never went to Boston for that, but I went to McCoy Stadium. No more, no more McCoy Stadium. Oh, so it's Worcester something, whatever they are. But anyway, McCoy Stadium. We were there. He, he was in, in rehab, so he goes there, and Big Poppy comes to the plate. Everybody's looking. Place was packed up. First pitch, boom, ball out of the park. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. It comes again. What was that? I think the third or fourth inning. It comes Big Poppy again. Boom, ball out of the park. I'm like, whoa. Three times he did it. People are going bizarre. Oh, I mean, it was about, it was, I don't know if my wife remembers that. It was like amazing. Guess what happened when the game was over? Half of the stadium, I'm exaggerating, is at the door waiting for him for Poppy's uh, uh, autograph. And he's there signing autographs left and right. Like, hey, what about me? I can give you mine for free. Nobody wants it. You see, popularity. Popularity. Imagine if it was me that was in the place of him. Imagine if I was Big Poppy, right? And I'm like, here you go there. Boom, out of the park. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's the reason some of, uh, why some of these things that I'm going to mention tonight are so popular among the types of people. Autographs is a big deal. And, and the more famous you are, the more value they have. Fake news magazine. Buy them in the stores. Well, I call them the liar's magazine. It's all about lies, you know, all kinds of gossip going on. They put everything there. And people buy that stuff. You know, they want to read about that stuff. I mean, they were in the, uh, in the supermarkets. You can just right there. And you see all this kind of stuff. Fake news magazine. Paparazzi. Those are the ones you make the rich and famous lives miserable. Whatever they go, they're taking pictures. Why? Because they're so popular. I guess I think if I was that popular, I would go like, take the picture. You want another one? <laughs> anyway. So, folks, this kind of stuff can happen to you and me at any time. If we uh, go up the ladder of success. So, since the beginning of time, this, this, this is very, to this very day, nothing has changed. There are, uh, there are a thirst in the hearts of many people for riches. Well, I said, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because that thirst is when the heart, was in the heart of Absalom. That thirst was right there. Number five, the result of reconciliation. The result of reconciliation. Just because Absalom returned home, one would think that kisses and hugs would be exchanged, reconciliation would be made, and everything would be good from, from, that, from that, that, that day on. But things didn't get that any better. Just because Joab did the best he could for reconciliation to be possible between father and son, things didn't get any better. Let me tell you, folks, the same thing is today. Let me say, put it like this. Things are really bad with me, me and Robert here. Comes Brother Tom. And Brother Tom says, I'm going to get you guys to make peace. And he try everything he can. And in the end, he gets exhausted and he says, I failed. Why did he fail? He didn't fail. The hearts don't want nothing to do with each other. 
That was the same thing right there. Did David love his son? Yes. Did Absalom love his father? Yes. But there was too many walls in between there. There was too much stuff in there. And they wouldn't let go of that stuff. And when you let go of that stuff, guess what happens? There's no reconciliation. So, folks, we as preachers want to finish our message in a positive note. <laughs> Believe me. But this chapter, don't have no happy endings right here, okay? But let me tell you that this chapter doesn't finish in a positive note at all. Actually, it finishes in a concerning note. David is the king of Israel, but there is one that goes by the name of Absalom. He was looking at the throne with a want. See that? He's looking at the throne and he wants that throne. How in the world can he make peace with his father if his heart is on the wealth of that throne? So, letter A, we see an unhappy prince. Look at verse 28. So Absalom dwelt two years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Two years after he returned home, he doesn't see his father's face. So unfortunately, there are many cases in which reconciliation is not really possible as much people try to do it, Brother Tom. He tried to reconcile uh, Robert and myself. It's not working. So what happens here? So sometimes there are too many obstacles, too many mountains, too many walls, too many to tear down in order to, fall, to have full reconciliation or full reconciliation to be made. So, it is the, uh, so is the, the case of David and Absalom right here. It's too much between the father and the son to have full reconciliation here. So no doubt that David loved, like I said, his son. They both love each other. But there's things in between there. Can you imagine that Absalom won his father dead so he can take the throne? His own father? Why in the world David didn't do nothing about the one his son raped his daughter? See, Absalom was given permission to return to his home where he was on the on house arrest, but, but uh, he put up with, with this arrangement for two years, trusting that Joab would bring about reconciliation between himself and his father. But Joab did nothing either. Like Brother Tom, you just give up. And you say, and you, know, you, you just sit down and like, let's say me, I look at you and said. Hey, I'm waiting over here. What happened? Why are we not? You're not doing nothing about it. We're going to see something very interesting here. So at least it seemed that way to Absalom. So that situation didn't fit with Absalom at all. Can you imagine two years like that? You could no, he could no longer live in such conditions. And he was not a happy man. So let it be. We see an angry prince. Look at verse 29 and 30. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to have, uh, uh, to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent him again the second time, he would not come. So we see Absalom right here wanted to talk with Joab, and Joab was not around. He, he, he couldn't get hold of him. Look what it says in verse 30. Therefore he said to his servants, See, Joab's fields is near me, and he had barley there. So go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the fuel on fire. Why did he do that? Get his attention. Exactly. He said, you're not going to listen to me. Hey, I've been calling you. I've been leaving message. I've been sending text message to you. You're not responding. Listen, 
I know you have the same number. You didn't block me. It's going through. Why not answer me? I'm going to set your house on fire, okay? <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. So you're going to get my attention. That's exactly what's happened here. So Absalom was tired of the living conditions. His tiredness turned into anger, and his anger turned into something irrational. All because he wanted to, to, be, uh, to be king of Israel. So Joab must realize that Absalom wanted the throne, and then the prince's grown popularity could provide, uh, uh, provide him the support he needed to take over the kingdom. So knowing that, Joab stayed away from Absalom so he wouldn't give the impression that he was being controlled by him. So, you know, pretty much this. So Now, Absalom was not going to sit around any longer. He was going to take drastic action is what he does here. He does, and he commends his servants to set the field on fire. And of course, get this, Joab's at, got Joab's attention very, very fast. For the Lord required that an arsonist to repay the owner of the field when it's destroyed. You see this in Exodus chapter 22, verse 6. So when Joab came to Absalom to confirm him, he was faced with two decisions that he had, had to make. Either take him to the king and let him receive his son, or, for, or forgive him, uh, or take him to the court and prove that he was guilty of capital crime and deserved to die. So the Absalom would rather be slain than go on living in shameful, in a shameful house arrest like he was. So Joab was on the, on the great dilemma here, for he was, uh, he was the one who, who, who actually caused him to come out of Egypt. But the people would never permit a, a, a favorite royal prince to be tried and convinced of a crime. But now Joab guaranteed that the king would be reconciled to his son. So folks, the scenario happens at this time to people you get in between others with intentions of helping them. They try to help. They try to help them, then make re to make reconciliation. And sometimes they get the wrong end of the stick. You follow that? That happened to me once. <laughs> it was a family member, and I went very far. I tried to make, an, to make them make reconciliation. In the end, I was the devil, literally. And I said, what did I do? I'm just trying to help you, both of you. Now you guys made peace somehow, and I'm the bad guy. That happens. I experienced that. It's not a fun place to be. <laughs> Especially if his family. So Joab knew immediately that he was in a hard predicament here. So let us see. An awkward reunion. Look at verse 33. So Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself to his, uh, on his face to the ground before the king. And kissed, and, and I'm sorry, and the king kissed Absalom. So finally, after two years... Absalom comes to see his father, and David kisses Absalom. And he would say, yes, peace was made. Listen, folks, you cannot make peace with a kiss. Did Judas, what he did with the Jesus with the kiss? He betrayed Jesus. And right here is an awkward reunion. Absalom had a hidden agenda. And he was determined to size his father's David's throne. His plan was to dethrone his father and rise to the position of new king of Israel. For folks, let me remind you that 
God did not anoint this man to be the next king of Israel. He was doing that on his own. God already knew he was going to be the next king of Israel. He hadn't picked the king. Not Absalom. But let me tell you, this man had his eyes on the throne. I don't know how he got to that, but he did not care about his father. So this is an awkward reunion here. It's not a heartfelt reunion or reconciliation. It's never because it's not in the heart of the people here. The two people involved here, it's not in their heart. It's like a formal thing, so to speak. Oh, my son, long time I don't see you. Oh, good, go back to your house. It was good to see you. So that's pretty much it. In the heart, the walls are still there. And the other one, the young man, kisses his father. Oh, I want to take you down. I want to get you thrown. That's what's going on in the mind of Absalom. And we're going to see this to be true in the next chapters. Because it will really happen. So let me remind you that this man was doing things out of the word of God. And when he, we do things out of the will of God and out of the word of God, we will reap the consequences and he will reap the consequences. This man is going to move forward with his plan. One thing he does not know is that justice is going to, fa to face him very quick. He's going to fix this justice of God very quick. Now, that the prince was free, he could be visible in the city, enjoy the, the uh, uh, meetings with people, and when he does, he has one purpose. He's going around getting people on his side. One after the other, and when he rebelled against his father, he has a whole army on his side. He wants to get his father off the throne. What an awkward place to be. So I concluded with, the, with this tonight. What can we learn about this message tonight? What can we take from this message tonight about reconciliation? I want to be positive, even though the, the passage doesn't finish, there's an end in, the, in a positive uh, uh, thing here. But here's one thing that if you get nothing out of this, there's one thing. You cannot make reconciliation with lip talking. You cannot. You never, it will never happen. Reconciliation has to come from inside of two hearts or three hearts, whoever is involved in that. It has to come the, from there and has to be expressed with humility and humbleness and caring. Because we see here, Father and Son, neither one wanted to reconcile right here, even though they love each other. They had agendas here. They had walls and mountains between. It happens the same thing. We have, if we're going to make reconciliation, it's got to come from the heart. And when we approach the person, we have to say to the person, uh, listen, I've done wrong. I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? That's the words we, we want to use. Will you forgive me? And it comes the opposite. So I think if David will go to his son and say, son, I made a big mistake. I should have gone after your brother when he did that to your sister. I did not. Son, will you forgive me? If Absalom looked to his father and said, Father, I made a mistake in killing my brother. I should not have done that. Father, will you forgive me? You see the difference? But when we see here, we don't see that. We see kisses and hugs and nothing is expressed. You know what? They both go to the directions and there's no peace in there. There's no peace in there. Same thing. If you try to make peace with God... With lip talking, it's just lip talking. You follow that? 
If a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and it's just pure lip talking, it's just simple lip talking. But if, it, if you come with a humble heart, and say, Lord, I have, I have sinned against you, I have done wrong against you, Lord, please forgive me, that's much different. I'll give you an example. It was several, many years ago, I was at First Baptist Church. That was, I believe this was a, it was a Sunday morning. And usually we had people in the front with the Bibles, old-fashioned altar. You know, guy had the Bible in his hand. I had my Bible there in one of the aisles. And, and that day was several people that came forward. And believe me, we used to get a lady with the lady, men with the man. You know, but this lady comes forward and is nobody. And it's just me standing there. I look at the pastor. The pastor goes, <laughs> I go, all right. So we get in the altar and we, I lead this lady to the Lord. And it, it, just in my heart was very uneasy. I was like, all right, I'm not God. I'm not a judge. I don't want to put myself in that place. But I give the paper to the pastor and I said, I don't think she got saved. But the pastor, she said, she got, okay. That's her testimony, not mine. I'm just a man. Well, the next day, Monday, we went on visitation. And we used to actually see the people that came visit the church or the people that got saved. We used to go first to them. So guess where we went? that lady's house so we did here's one thing this is what she said we walk in there and she said no you guys are telling me that if my husband doesn't do what I did he's going to hell I said according to the Bible yes I reject you Jesus I reject you God I don't want this thing I said I thought you got saved I cannot accept that. Well, did she got saved? I don't know. But her words is not words of somebody that got saved and is and thankful to the Lord she just got saved. Listen, I would never put my place in the, in my place in the, in the place of God. It's not my place to be. But sometimes, you know, if, if it's just lip talking, it's lip talking. But if his heart felt is different, that's reconciliation. You can lip talk all day long, but reconciliation is heartfelt between two people, three people, four people, whoever they are. It's got to come from the heart and express with our mouth. It's got to be genuine. Those two guys right here, neither one. You know what? And the next chapters we're going to go forward, you're going to see that what I'm saying is exactly true because it was never reconciliation made between father and son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, may we learn what reconciliation really is. And I pray, Father, Lord, if there's someone here tonight never really made reconciliation with God, may tonight, Lord, they open their hearts and their minds. And, Lord, and truly from their heart, they express with words that they want to make reconciliation with you. Lord, they can't start by asking you to forgive them of their sin and Lord and ask you to forgive them and call on Jesus for salvation in Jesus name I pray amen